Well, good morning, church. It's quite a different audience than I've seen for the last month. It's good to see you. Thank you for praying for me. It has been an honor and a privilege to be in five different countries and multiple different cities over the last month, representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And uh, this has been one of those uh, plowing the field and sowing the seed kind of trips. I didn't take a team. I was, uh, me and the Holy Spirit were together, and I spent the majority of my time talking to other preachers. So thank you for praying for me. They're a hard-headed bunch of people. And I'm just simply trying to share, um, what's the purpose of the church? Remember, what is the main thing, and to keep the main thing the main thing? And so thank you for supporting me, thank you for praying for me, and it's good to be home. Open your copy of the scriptures to Psalm 33, and there is a reason why I want to focus on the theme this morning that's presented in Psalm 33 that I believe is the answer to the problems in our world, the problems in our nation, the problems in the church, the problems in the family, the problem in the individual walk with the Lord. And as I read Psalm 33, you try to guess for me what is that missing element in the life of the church and the life of our country today. It is the answer, I believe, to all of our problems. Psalm 33. This is the word of the Lord. Read the entire psalm. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with a harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety, 
neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our heart waits for the Lord. He is our help, our shield, for our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. This is the reading of the word of the God. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we admit we are a needy people. We find ourselves individually, we find ourselves as a church, our nation in desperate need of you. We recognize that apart from you, there is no good thing. There is no hope. There is no answer. There is no peace. There is no purpose apart from a relationship with you. Lord, would you teach us what does it mean to fear you? Teach us how we can grow in walking in the fear of the Lord. We need this desperately in this day. In this time, you know our hearts. You know every individual in this room. You know exactly what they are dealing with today. And you've convinced me that the answer is to walk in the fear of the Lord. Thank you, Father, for our pastor. Thank you for him uh, uh, allowing him to be a part of what his family's been doing this weekend and prepare him, Lord, for when he returns. Thank you for his faithfulness to your word and that we are well fed here at Indian Creek Baptist Church. Bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Butch McGregor. That sounds like an all-American name, doesn't it? He's a starting linebacker on his high school football team. Average grades and popular among his peers, he turned 18 during basic training in the Marine Corps. His drill instructor's saliva was dripping off his face as he was called all kinds of names that he had never heard before. Butch had not done anything seriously long. He had just somehow gotten off step with the rest of his recruit buddies, and as they were marching across the drill deck, but the slightest infraction could cost him 50 push-ups or a one-on-one session in the sandbox. The day before, he drew uh, the instructor's attention by flinching slightly after holding his weapon at attention for a full 15 minutes. This was not exactly what Butch had in mind when only a few weeks earlier he had had a conversation with his recruiter. He heard that the Marines were looking for a few good men. And at six feet, two inches of solid muscle who loved physical contact, the starting linebacker on his high school football team, Butch figured the Marine Corps would be right up his alley. What he did not expect is the level and the amount of mental and emotional abuse that he would have to endure. He wasn't prepared for the verbal intimidation and the humiliation that he and his buddies would suffer every day. He was four inches taller and 40 pounds heavier than the sergeant who was now screaming in his face. But he dared not move a muscle. 
or blink an eye. He simply responded with a clear and resounding, yes, sir, no, sir. It was the only acceptable response. And Butch was no dummy. He soon learned to respect authority and promptly carried out commands without much thought as to whether it made sense or not. And near the end of his basic training, he actually began to enjoy this tough, disciplined life. Then something unexpected happened that even took his drill instructors by surprise. They were given 24 hours of headway that the battalion commander, the general, was going to do a surprise inspection. So as you can imagine, the weapons that had been cleaned were cleaned again. Floors that had been washed and scrubbed had been rebuffed until you could shave in the reflection of the floor. Beds were made so tight that you could bounce a quarter 12 inches high. Shower floors were cleaned on hands and knees with toothbrushes and cleaning fluids. And the next morning, while standing at attention, the general passes by. And guess who he stops in front of? Yes, it's Butch McGregor. And the general looks carefully from head to toe, looking straight into Butch's eyes. His steely blue eyes caused Butch to have a lump in his throat, and he could feel the sweat beginning to come on his palms of his hands. He was suddenly struck by awe. A mere seven-week recruit stands in front of the general of his own battalion. Now, following basic training, Butch was assigned to the same training battalion in the motor pool, where he was soon recognized as a skillful and responsible driver and was soon promoted to corporal. Meanwhile, General Collins was promoted to Major General and became the commanding officer of Butch's division. And as fate would have it, because of his reputation, Butch was selected as the general's driver. He was honored to be selected, yet he could still remember that day when he stood in front of the general from their previous encounter in boot camp, and awe once again gripped his heart as he reported for duty for the first day. Now, Sergeant Butch McGregor soon discovered that behind those steely blue eyes was a tough but fair man as he would listen to the general's conversations with other officers while driving him in his car. He was amazed at the general's wisdom and his military skill. He noticed how his leadership was respected across the entire Marine Corps. His previous fear of the general soon turned into awe and respect. He could envision General Collins one day being even the commandant of the Marine Corps. He was always he always feared him, but now he generally admired and respected his personal character and his military leadership. And one day he actually began to like General Collins. And he believed that the general actually liked him. But even while there was a personal relationship that grew, Butch never treated him as his equal. 
He was always conscious of the vast difference in rank between them. And even in casual conversations, he always addressed him as yes, sir, and no, sir. And in the course of time, war broke out, and Butch's division was deployed. And as was always possible, one day the general's car was struck by a roadside bomb, an IED. And General Collins was thrown clear from the car and seriously injured. But Butch remained trapped in the front seat of the burning vehicle. And despite his own injuries and at the risk of his own life, General Collins goes back to the burning car. And even though he took no thought of his duties or the war that raged on, he freed Butch McGregor from the burning car just in time to save his life before a secondary explosion. Now, Butch was appreciative of the visits that General Collins would make over the next few weeks. But he was mostly amazed at the fact that this general was willing to risk his own life to save his. And each day, Butch rehearsed over and over in his mind how the general had saved him from certain death, and he began to realize the regular visits were not because of the possibility that he was going to die but because the general actually cared for him often pondering why would a two-star general now in command of the entire marine division in battle would risk his own life to save a mere sergeant that could be easily replaced by another he began to consider that despite their vast difference in rank he believed that the general actually loved him. Now, not only did Butch honor, respect, and was in awe of the general, but he loved the general too. He longed for the day when he could once again be the general's driver, and he had determined that he would be the best general's driver ever. It would always be yes, sir, and no, sir, in relationship. And that's how General Collins and Sergeant McGregor wanted it. This is based upon a true story. Fear, dread, veneration, respect, awe, reverence, wonder, admiration, even amazement, submissive and admiring fear inspired by authority. If this can be true, between a recruit, a sergeant, and a general in the Marine Corps, my friend, how much more we who are children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Why do I share this story? This story? It is this kind of respectful, reverential awe that we should have toward our God. There was a time in history when the church people were described as God-fearing people. And what I'm afraid of and what has happened is the desire to overemphasize the love of God, our relationship to God has become a bit too casual. When the church, when the people of God loses its fear of God, what do we expect will happen? What do we expect will happen not only in the church, but will happen in a nation who no longer fears God? Would you not agree with me that that in the time in which we live, in our not-so-distant past, there was even 
our secular society, there was some measure of the respect and fear of God that is no longer there today. And what happens in our country when there's no fear of God? Proverbs 16, 6 says, By the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Now, the opposite of that is true. If there's no fear of the Lord, then you run into evil. Paul's description of fallen humanity in Romans 3 and verse 18 says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see, it is the lack of the fear of the Lord that is the downfall of any nation. And as goes the head of the home, so goes the family. So goes the family, so goes the church. So goes the church, so goes the nation. So I'm pleading with you this morning. I'm pleading with myself. I'm pleading with the leadership of this country. Let's return to a godly fear of the Lord. Several weeks ago, I asked Pastor Jake, where, where are you going next in your preaching now that you've finished 1 Corinthians 13? And I was excited to hear him say that he's settling down on a series from the book of Proverbs. We could all use a good dose of teaching from the book of wisdom. Amen? Amen? And what verse comes out to you when you think about the verse of Proverbs? The verse above all verses in Proverbs is Proverbs 9, verse 10, that it is the fear of the Lord that is what? The beginning of wisdom. You see, a, a superficial surface casual of the reading of scripture can lead to confusion when we address this idea of the fear of the lord for example first john four eighteen says there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love how do you reconcile that with what Paul said in Romans 3.18 when he talks about the fact that sin abounds in our world because there is no fear before their eyes, no fear of God? Now, I appreciate what Skipper had to say last week, amen? amen. About the omniscience and the omnipresence of God. That there is somebody watching. There is somebody that knows not only what you do, but what you think. He is everywhere all at the same time and knows everything all at the same time. Every thought and tension of your heart is known by God. If that doesn't strike fear in you, oh, I don't know what will. When you're alone and no one's watching and no one will ever know, God is there and God knows. In some cases, that brings great comfort. In some cases, it brings fearful expectation. You see, while God is love, he is also holy. While he is kind, he is also just. He will forgive the sin of the confessing, repentant heart, and he will remove that sin as far as the east is from the west. He will also cast into the lake of fire those who refuse to surrender to his lordship. It is a fearful thing, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 says. It is a fearful thing, to fall into the hands of the living God. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 4, I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who can kill the body, and after that nothing more can they do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast you into hell. 
I'm telling you, fear him. But yet we understand that God is a God of love. God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, tempted in every way that we are, and without sin, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Some would say that the fear of God is an Old Testament concept. We're now under grace. God is love, therefore we should not fear God. I want to repeat a Greek word for that in response. Hogwash. Did you know that the fear of God is the very environment, the atmosphere of the church that is conducive to spiritual and numerical growth? When the people of God fear and in awe of our God, it, is, it changes the environment, it changes the atmosphere, it is conducive. It is that which we need for spiritual growth. Listen to Acts 9, 31. That's in the New Testament, isn't it? So the church throughout all Judea and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking, guess what? In the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So spiritual maturation and numerical multiplication, what is the requirement? Walking in the fear of the Lord. Now that word in the New Testament Greek is phobos. Say that with me. Phobos. Phobos. Phobia. That's where we get that English word from. Fear. Dread. Terror reverence you remember acts chapter 5 that's in the new testament too isn't it the story of ananias and sapphira you remember the result of them not taking seriously the fear of the lord what happened to them and as a result of their sudden death as the judgment, as the disciplining hand, the loving disciplined hand came upon them, it says in Acts chapter 5 as a result, and great fear came on the whole church. And it didn't say that was a bad thing. There are places God will not take you in relationship with him and influences for the kingdom for his purposes unless and until you possess the fear of the Lord. Now, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but God doesn't need your giftedness. God doesn't need your intellect. He doesn't need your creativity to accomplish his purposes. But when you are fully submitted to and you live in reverential awe of God, he will empower you to accomplish what's on his heart. When we are captivated by his majesty, by his holiness, by his awesomeness, then and only then are you and I ready to experience the fullness of life that Jesus died to provide us. Oh yes, heaven's your home. 
Oh, yes, you are saved by grace through faith. But usefulness and abundance in the kingdom requires, my friend, the fear of the Lord. When his majesty captivates your heart, the last thing you want to do is give God your leftovers. It's not a difficult thing to come to the house of the Lord on the Lord's day and worship him. It is minimal when you think about what he has done and who he is. When Isaiah caught a glimpse of his holiness and his majesty, you need to go back and read that sometime in Isaiah 6. Isaiah was living in a day much like ours when they had forgotten who their God was. And they were surrounded by their enemies and they were falling apart from within because of their sinfulness. The scripture says in Isaiah 6 verse 5, as Isaiah was in the presence of of God. This was his response. Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Friends, I don't know why you came this morning, but you have a God who is worthy of your respect. You have a God who is worthy of your full attention this morning. And when he captivates your heart and you realize who he is, it will be an honor to serve him. In response to Isaiah's awe-inspiring experience, God could now use him as the spokesman for the Lord. Not only will the fear of the Lord keep you from sinning, it will prepare you for usefulness. The key to being used of God, the key to maturation in your walk with the Lord is spending time in His presence. My, how we talk about how difficult it is to have a daily quiet time. Listen, God deserves much more than that. Notice with me in Psalm 33. You didn't think I was going to preach this passage, did you? Now the sermon begins. Verse chapter 1, chapter 33, verse 1. The writer begins, Sammy, notice this. The writer begins with worship. He says, rejoice, praise, make melody, sing to him. I know you like this and play skillfully. Focus on his word. Focus on his character. Look at his creativity. And let the result be, oh, we fear the Lord. Could it be that what we call worship, if it does not result in the greater fear of the Lord, could it be that you just had a religious experience? If our worship does not cause us to be in awe of Him, 
have we really truly worshipped at all? The writer encourages us to give God our best. If you're going to play skillfully, do you think it takes some effort, time, energy? Yes. Do we, do we come, oh, I, I don't feel like singing today. No, shout of joy. For our God is worthy of our worship. Does this sound like our time this morning in this room should be spent with some measure of attentiveness or some passive bystanding or some critique of what you see or hear? No. We come to worship. We come to hear the word of the Lord. Amen? And when we come to worship, to contemplate his works, the writer says in verse 4, the second part he says, and all his work is done in truth. Verse 6, by the words of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Verse 7, he gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up in deep storehouses. Folks, it took me 15 hours at 500 miles an hour to cross the Pacific Ocean. Can you imagine if we were to try to measure the volume of just one single ocean, what that number might be? And our God, who is a consuming fire, who is worthy of our awe and respect, can measure it in the palm of his hand. He is worthy to be worshipped. He can measure the vastness of the universe with the span of his hand. Folks, he is the one who stood on nothing and spoke everything into existence by the whisper of his breath. If you get down to the root word, just by the whisper of his breath, it came into being. How many stars have you created lately? How many oceans have you measured lately? How many universes can you measure with the span of your hand? Our God is worthy of our praise. He is worthy to be feared. Consider the character and the sovereignty of our God as presented by the writer here. When he speaks, does it have any error in it? No. It's right. It's true. When he works out what is in his heart, is it always good? Yes, it is. When he loves, is it always in righteousness and justice? Yes, it is. And when you look at creation from God's perspective, we are meant to stand in awe of him. He spoke and it became the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, the universe in all its complexities came into being by the breath of his mouth. And when he speaks, he brings forth life. Folks, this is not ink on a page. This is the breath of God. And you and I have the privilege of opening up and enjoying life. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. You know what I've discovered in this world? There are a lot of smart people, but not very many wise. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of the God, and the skies above proclaims His handiwork. David goes on to describe in that psalm his work of creation, his visual sermon that declares the glory of God. His word is life to our soul and rejoicing to the heart. Both his creative genius and his perfect words brings understanding to the simple that produces a fear of the Lord that cleanses the soul and keeps us from sin. Folks, at the heart of our sin problem is the lack of the fear of God. Psalm 33, verse 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the worlds stand in awe of Him. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, having these promises... Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. Guess what it says next? Perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Is 2 Corinthians 7 in the Old or New Testament? Oh, well, thank you. Yes, fearing the Lord is New Testament. What promises is Paul talking about in 2 Corinthians 7? Therefore, having these promises. The promises that through the finished work of Christ, he says in that passage, that we are the very dwelling place of God in spirit. Folks, we have no business flirting with darkness and lawlessness when the very awesome God lives in us. He says in that passage, what part does light have to do with darkness? What part does a believer have to be doing with unbelieving? He says, be holy for I am holy. Folks, what environment? What environment makes that possible? Perfecting, maturing in holiness. What, what is it that makes that possible? Walking in the fear of the Lord. Listen to me. If we're not awed by God, we will fail in resisting the desires of the flesh. If we're not awed by God, we'll be fooled by the lies of the enemy. We, we cannot have wisdom without the fear of the Lord. You see, you can have all the knowledge this world has to offer, but if it's not in the presence of an almighty God in whom you fear, there is no possibility for you to use that knowledge for any good whatsoever. Because it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. You see, you can accumulate a lot of knowledge, but never come closer to the truth. Listen, young folks, you're at a time in your life when you're like a sponge soaking up what this world has to offer, especially in the world of literature and education, science, supposed science. And you can accumulate a lot of knowledge, but that doesn't make you wise. 
Paul told young Timothy that the world is full of people, 2 Timothy 3 verse 7, that are always learning but never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Can you imagine that? Always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why? Because there is no fear of God. There's a lot of smart people in the world. They're not many wise because they do not know the fear of the Lord. That's how PhDs can become atheists. That's how theologians can die and go to hell. And that's how workers of seemingly good can, be, can even cast out demons and do many wondrous works in the name of Jesus. Yet on judgment day, hear him say, Matthew 7, 23, Depart from me, for I never knew you. And when we sin, the answer is not to try harder to do better. The answer for the child of God is to enter his presence boldly to find help in time of need, to worship him in his holiness, to be awed by his beauty and his perfections, consider the works of his hands, and be awed by the awesomeness of his power. And that, my friend, is how you will escape evil and fleshly desires. All fleshly desires is trying to fulfill what only God can fill in your heart. It is in his presence that you'll find what? The fullness of joy. It is at his right hand that what? You'll find pleasures forevermore. What are we looking for in today's world? Pleasures? Joy? What does God say? Taste and see that I'm good. If you find yourself this morning far from God, run. Not from God, to God. Run to the Father of lights. Run to the one who dwells in unapproachable light. For he who knew no sin became sin for you, that you might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus has entered into the Holy of Holies on your behalf, friend. He has made a way where there is no way. My dear brother and sister in Christ, are you struggling with sin this morning? Have you fallen this week to the 199th time for the same trap? I'm telling you, run to Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing to him a new song. Meditate on his promises. Consider his goodness and the power that's revealed in his creation. He is sovereign over you. Yes, he is to be feared. But yes, he invites you into his presence. He is sovereign over every one of your current circumstances. I, I don't even begin to venture to know. Uh, we could have, as elders, spent another hour this morning talking about what some of you that we know are going through and praying over your circumstances and situations. We know just a little bit of what's going on in your life. But let me ask you, do you think God is surprised by your recent diagnosis? Do you think God, the sovereign God of the universe, is unaware of your struggles? The one who spoke and heavens were made, 
the one who can measure the universe by the span of his hand and measures the oceans in his palm. Do you think he sits in heaven today and says, oh, man, I didn't see that coming? Rest assured that he is aware, that he is good, that he's still on his throne, that he is the Lord over your disease and every broken heart. Do you know that God can even use the sinful choices of men to bring about ultimate good? You know, that's what it means to be sovereign, sov over, reign. He reigns over you and me. Think about the stories we know in the Bible. The story of Joseph. What did his brothers do to him? Sold him into slavery, was going to kill him, was going to let him die in the bottom of a well. At the end of all that he had to do, that he all had to go through, what do we see at the end of the book of Genesis? What Joseph said to his brothers who had done him so wrong. What you meant for evil against me, God meant it for good. That's the God we serve. Think about God's redemptive purpose in Christ. That his redemptive purpose... He was actually, he actually used the hands of sinful men to bring about your salvation. Do you know that? The betrayal of a friend. The religious system of his day. They all nailed him to a cross. Thinking, even the enemy, thought that he had won until the third day when Jesus rose from the tomb. God's redemptive purpose in Christ. He's even sovereign over your poor choices, my poor choices, and can bring about a redemptive purpose through them. That's the God. Man, I am all of him. Ephesians 3, verse 10, Paul says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the church. No, let me say that again. Might be known by the church to principalities and powers in heavenly places. What, what is God doing through you and me? He's demonstrating to the enemy, here's what I can do through the sinful choices of men. Ha, ha. Who's in charge? What's his plan? Is he a God worthy to be awed? to be revered, to run to his loving arms this morning? I, I don't know what you came in here with, but I know what you can leave with. The awe of God. He has been pursuing some of you to the point where he brought you to this place this morning, not because of anything I said eloquently, but because the Holy Spirit is drawing you to himself and he says, I want you to be my own. And here's what you need to do. You need to come and bow at his feet and cry out to our God, save me, make me into what you have given your son to forgive me. Some of us this morning, we know we're the child of God. We know that if we die, we're going to go to heaven 
but we're just dealing with some stuff. And you're not sure this morning that God knows your situation. I'm here to declare he does. And he's the answer. Sickness, financial issues, marriage problems. What about my future? Listen. All of that can be solved if you learn to enter his presence and be awed by our God. So let's just spend some time this morning. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and, and realize that the next few moments may be so vitally important for your future. It can be the difference between life or death. Don't, don't let this day go by. Don't let this moment go by without surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To confess your need for a Savior. Let this be the day. And don't be ashamed to let others know. That's why we call this an invitation. That's why we call this a time of response. It's impossible to be in the presence of God without the expectation of a response. What will you do today? Will you come to Christ or will you put him off one more day, not knowing that you might not live tomorrow? Maybe today you just need to say, man, I, I've, been, I, I've been just going through some stuff and I need somebody who can connect me with God to pray for me today. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here and you're, and you're ready to be awed by God so that you can have victory over the sin issues in your life. Then today's the day. Father, as we come before you in these next few moments, have your will in your way. We're just going to sing a song. We're going to stand to our feet. And we're going to say, in these few moments, I surrender all. In these few moments, I want to be awed by your presence. I know that you are a God of love. But at the same time, you are a God to be feared. And the fear of the Lord does not cause me to run from you, but to run to you that's the kind of God you are. Find the response in our hearts today pleasing to you, oh, our God, our King. In Jesus' name, amen.